everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about being a conqueror. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say Happy New Year. As we move into 2021, maybe one of your goals is to read the Bible more this year. There's something that we do as a church that might help. We are constantly running Bible plans on the YouVersion app for people to read together. If you're interested in being a part of one of those, you can simply go to creekside.me and click on the yellow button that says YouVersion in order to connect with us on one of those plans. I believe that God's word can transform your life. And if it is one of your goals to read it more this year, I think it's a great goal. And we'd love to be able to help with that. So go to creekside.me and click on that yellow button that says version. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen today. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So I I, I don't think I'm alone, but I, maybe I am, but I don't think I am. And, and, and just this fact that sometimes I can... I can act like the small sins in my life, like the little things, that, especially the ones that our, that our culture has deemed insignificant, or maybe even Christian culture has kind of deemed insignificant because we're busy pointing out the bigger sins. Uh, I, can, I can fall into the trap of acting like, like certain sins in my own life are not that big of a, of a deal. Like, it's, you know, at least I'm not. That's how I think I would say it. At least I'm not you know, doing that or doing this or whatever it might be. And let me just pause and say, I just want to give you the definition from Google uh, on sin that I gave last week. And then uh, moving forward next week, week after, we're going to talk a lot about sin and I'll dive into a, you know, a deeper kind of picture of sin in the Bible. But Google says it's an immoral act considered to be a transgression against a divine law. And I think that's that's pretty good summary for how we view sin in uh, in Christianity. And I think for a lot of Christians... We don't mind a little bit of immoral action in our own lives, a little bit of transgressing against God, as long as it's not too big or too much. I think that even beyond that, oftentimes, far too often, Christians can just stop taking sin seriously or or we can just not care about committing it at all. Like sin doesn't become a part of our thinking. We just live however we want to live and we don't, we don't even worry about the way in which we are living our lives. Um, I quoted this guy last week and, and I posted on our face group, group about him. I, I've become a fan of this 74-year-old preacher. He might be my favorite preacher now. I don't even know if I'm saying the guy's name right. Uh, I called him Bob Utley last week, but I'm going to call him Bob Utley today because I realized there's actually a baseball player with that same spelling last name, and it was Chase Utley. And so I'm going with Utley here on out. I don't know, but, but he says this thing in one of his sermons that I just thought was so good. We're playing games with God. Sin is rampant in our life. We are rationalizing it, culturalizing it, explaining it away, and wondering what in the world is the problem. He said that 20 years ago, and I think that that problem is far greater today. We're just playing games with God. We're allowing for sin to be rampant in our lives, even those of us who are Christians. We're just letting sin be present in our lives, and we're wondering, like, you know, why aren't I growing? Why aren't I living, you know, in a way that's more fulfilling? Why isn't this thing that I'm doing called faith better? And it's because we're just, we're just embracing sin, Today, I wanna, we're going to look at this passage. I, I think this passage is so important. It might be as important of a passage as I can preach in, in American Christianity today. And basically, it says, don't sin. Don't sin. 
And, and, and when we hear that, don't sin, what we expect, I think, it, biblically and just in our own experiences with church is we expect don't sin to almost be followed by a list of sins that we shouldn't commit. It's like don't sin, and here's exactly what we mean by sin. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he calls us to radically change how we think about sin. And I think that that, radical, that call for radical change is, is really true for, for people who aren't Christians at all. If you're not a Christian, then, then man, Paul's going to call you to radically change how you think about sin. But for those of us that are, it's also true. It's a, it's a, it's a call by Paul in this passage to radically change how we think about sin, how we think about immoral actions where we are transgressing against the God that we claim to serve. And here's how Paul begins in Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now this, this idea of being under the law and under, the, under grace, I think Paul is, is using these very synonymously with, uh, with being under Jesus or under Adam, which I had the big black paper and the big red paper. If you were here, for, if you saw that sermon, you know, if you, if you were here, uh, you saw that. But, but now he switches gears and he says, you're either under the law or you're under grace. And for Christians, we're now under grace. And when Paul says law here, he doesn't mean that we can just become lawless, that we can do whatever we want, because that would be really... Uh, counterproductive given everything he says that follows this. Instead, when he says that we're no longer under the law, what he's talking about is being under the power of the law to point out our guilt and our deservingness of punishment. I made that word up, but the fact that we deserve punishment. We talked about that in this book that we've been studying, Romans. Paul has showed us that the law, the law actually increased our sinfulness by showing us exactly what sin was and showing us how guilty we are of it. But if we're Christians, we're not under that anymore. Instead, we are now under grace. We are under God's wonderful provision of the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins, and all that it brings. And so the question is then asked again. It's very similar to what Paul said in Romans 6.1. What then shall we sin because we are now under grace. Now, in, in verse 1, he asked this question that we talked about last week. He said, like, shall we sin that grace might increase? And he pretty emphatically said no to that. But now he, he just asked, I think, a, a question that, that we can more easily connect with because nobody, as, I, as I've said, like, nobody thinks really that theologically nuanced, right? Like, well, if God's grace is increased by my sin, should I sin more? But we do think things like this. Well, if God is gracious to me. If God has poured out his grace on me and that gets me into heaven, does it actually matter if I sin or don't sin? Paul's question here is much more simple. The question is, is it okay to sin? Is it okay to sin? Is it okay to sin a little? Is it okay to sin a lot? I mean, is it okay to sin considering the fact that I'm no longer under the law but now I'm under God's grace and that grace is going to if I've placed my faith in Jesus get me into heaven someday continue to help me have a right relationship with God is it okay to sin now this what is interesting I love that Caleb in the back thank you uh no the answer that Paul gives here is emphatically no, he says, by no means, in fact, Caleb. He says, by no means. And, and what's interesting about this question and, and the answer is that 
that it's actually the question that Satan has been whispering in people's hearts basically from the beginning of creation. In the garden, after God had created Adam and Eve, he has this tree and God says to them, don't eat from the tree. And then Satan says to them, did God really say you must not? And that's, that's the question, right? Like always, like, like if I'm under grace, did God really, does God really care if I just, you know, just do this one thing that I know is wrong? And, and we say it more like this. I'll just sin a little bit. I've touched on that already, but I won't sin too badly. I'm saved anyway. This is how I really hear it. God just wants me to be happy. God will forgive me. God is loving, and so it doesn't matter how I live my life. We, we, you know, we say it in a bunch of different ways, but, but all of it comes back to the idea that we, we do sometimes uh, with our lives and even with our mouths, we kind of say, I think it's okay to sin. I think it's okay if I sin, even just a little. I think it's okay if I sin. And so Paul puts forward this question to give an answer. Is it okay if you sin? And he says emphatically, no, by no means. And then he's going to explain why not in the verses that follow. I think this is so important. If you're wondering, is it okay for me to sin a little? If you've been playing with sin, rationalizing sin, culturalizing sin, as my, my new favorite pastor said, then, then this, what follows, is really, really important for you to pay attention to. Here's what he says in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, let me just stop and say, in verse 19, Paul is basically going to say, I know that this analogy isn't perfect. When we see the word slavery, for very good reason, I think, our guards come up and we're like, wait a minute, like that, that, you can't use that as an example. And in verse 19, Paul says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And, and almost every commentator seems to think, and I agree with them, that Paul says that in order to say, look, I understand that like every analogy, like every illustration, if you take it too far, it falls apart. And so my point here isn't that your relationship with God is like being a slave in every way that you think of slavery. That's not my point. But Paul is making a point here that can be illustrated by the idea of slavery, and it's really clear. You are a slave to the one that you obey, and then he gives you two choices. He says you're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He personifies sin and obedience. He makes them people. He makes them masters in some way, and he says you're going you're gonna to have one as a master. Either your master will be sin or your master will be obedience, and you have to make a choice. This is Paul's really big answer to the question, should I sin? The, the, answer, the answer is basically, hey, you have two choices. You're always serving somebody, and the question is going to be whether you serve sin or whether you serve obedience. That is obedience to God. And, and here's what Paul, I think, man, what he wants us to so clearly know. And this is, we, when he wrote this a couple thousand years ago, it wasn't even close to how important of an idea it is today. Paul is saying there is no such thing as true human autonomy, freedom. You, you are not just simply free to go and do whatever you want. That is the American dream, right? I think that's why people want to make more money. I think that's why people try to live the way that they do. I think that's why we have such a 
rebellious spirit and nature in our country because we, we just want the idea to be true that I can do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. And Paul says, wait a minute, pause. It's actually not true because the reality is, the spiritual reality is, you're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve God through obedience. Bob Dylan He's, I, quote, I quote this a lot in my sermons, but Bob Dylan, when he had his conversion experience, he became a, a Christian, he, he, he sang this song and, and he said, you have to serve somebody. And then he goes like for 10 minutes and talks about how you have to serve somebody. That's kind of the whole point of the song for a really long time in his Bob Dylan voice. You have to serve somebody. And you can either serve the Lord or you can serve, you know, all these things that Bob Dylan puts down, all of these things that are worldly and sinful. But the reality is you're going to serve something. It's going to be sin or it's going to be God through obedience. I gave the illustration from my mom last week. It's like riding two horses. I said that last week. Like eventually you're going to fall off or you're going to pick one. And what Paul is getting at is you have to pick which horse you are going to ride. You are either going to serve sin or you are going to serve the Savior whose name is Jesus. These are your choices. Now, I think what happens right from the get-go is that people mix this up and they think of these choices very differently. I think certain people, they think, I'm either going to serve God or be free. Like, I either can choose to become a Christian and have all those rules, or I can be free. Paul would say, no, 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 right now you're just serving something different. It's called sin, and it's worse, as we'll see throughout this passage. But I think Christians sometimes say, well, I've come to serve God, and therefore I can do whatever I want. Now, Paul will describe for us how we are free in Christ, but by free in Christ, he doesn't mean free to do whatever you want to do. He means free to become all that God wants you to become. That is an important distinction. And so Paul, at the very beginning, is like you serve sin or you serve Jesus through obedience. And he begins right here in the very first verse, verse part of his answer, to show that serving sin is a terrible idea compared to serving God. He says that serving sin here and throughout most of the book of Romans, it leads to death, but serving God leads to righteousness. It leads to a right relationship with God that I think all of this is encompassed in righteousness that, that is because God has declared us innocent and it allows for us to grow in our personal morality. And so serving sin leads to death. Serving God leads to a right relationship with God that, that is shown in the way that we live our lives, which is better than the way that we used to live our lives. And Paul's going to build on that as he continues through Uh, this answer, because the answer continues. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, I think this is so interesting because Paul shows here that he's mainly talking to Christians. That's true throughout the entire book of Romans. But as a Christian, I think my personal temptation on this passage would be to look at it and then the, and just immediately push it onto non-Christians, people outside of Christianity, and say, hey, like, hey, Paul wants you to know that you're a slave to sin, and so, hey, you should become a Christian so that you, you can not be a slave to sin anymore. And that's an important idea, but that's not Paul's main point. 
The main point for Paul is because he's, he's saying, thanks be to God, you already have become a Christian. You've actually been set free from sin. And I'm mainly talking to you who are already free from sin. And he says, you need to recognize that you have a choice. I serve sin or I serve my Savior. The main idea is not, hey, non-Christian, person outside of the faith, become a Christian so you're no longer a slave to sin. Surely he means that. But that's not the main point. The main point is, hey, Christian, recognize that you were a slave to sin, but now you're not. You've been set free so that you can serve your Savior. I really like the way that he says it here. It's weird. It's kind of, I say that a lot with the book of Romans. Paul is not just, he's not like writing this in a quick minute. It's deep, it's, it's nuanced, it's difficult at points. But he says, and when he describes Christians here, he says that you've come, if you're a Christian, uh, to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has claimed your obedience. Wow, that's a lot of words for becoming a Christian. And, and, and what's so interesting about it is he actually doesn't say, he doesn't say, that, that you have come, that, that you've come to a place where you just obey the law or anything like that. He actually describes in, this, in the language of the Greek language, he describes that we have come under this new pattern of teaching and it, and it claims our allegiance. So the picture Paul gives here is basically the same idea. He, he doesn't describe like we become Christians and then we're, you know, we take the word in or whatever. He says we become Christians and then, and then we come underneath the authority of, of this teaching. And the teaching is clearly the gospel and, and it's an extension of the gospel, really the morality that God has presented for us, the, the rights and wrongs as presented by God through Jesus and then through the other authors of Scripture. And so Paul says, when you become a Christian, you don't just, you know, break free from all the teachings, like I just throw it all out and I can just do whatever I want. Instead, you need to recognize that you've come underneath a new teaching, a much better teaching that, that helps you become all that God wants you to be. You've been set free from sin and you've become, this is the second way he says it, slaves to righteousness. You've become slaves to righteousness. Again, Paul's going to say that this analogy is not perfect, and that's his point in verse 19. This is not a perfect analogy. If you think about you know, uh, American slavery history and say, well, that's exactly what my relationship to God is like, that's not what Paul is getting at here. Even if you look at Roman slavery, when he was writing this and say, well, that's exactly what my relationship with God is like, that's not Paul's point. Paul is, it has one big point here. You have to serve somebody, and it's going to be sin, or it's going to be your Savior. And, and, and it's so much better to serve your Savior. He, he says it again here. You become slaves uh, as he moves forward. Sorry. Verse 19, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. This is the big idea. This is the key imperative of the whole passage. This is the command that Paul wants you to embrace. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul says, my analogy is not perfect. And then he just continues right down the analogy. It's not perfect, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's so important. I think this is what Paul would tell you. It is so important for you to understand your choices. You can serve sin or you can serve your Savior. Here he says that you, you serve impurity, which leads to ever-increasing wickedness. I think we know that to be true. Uh, I think even people who don't like the idea of sin know that when people embrace sin, 
it leads to more and more sin. Even if you don't use the word sin, when people, when people start to do bad things, it leads to more and more bad things. I think we all, I think we can all agree. I mean, everybody here I know pretty well, so we can all agree, and I think most of you can agree that we see this to be true in people's lives. When people do bad things, they, they seemingly grow and grow and grow in their willingness to do bad things. It, it's not like people start as you know, evil murdering dictators or something. They grow into that over the years. Hopefully not most people, but they grow into that through the years. And Paul says here, like, if you're a slave to sin, you know what it produces? It produces ever-increasing wickedness. And we all know that to be true, but what not everybody knows to be true is that when we become slaves to righteousness, serving God, it leads to holiness. Holiness is this idea of sanctification that I brought up last week. We are justified, we are made innocent by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus when we place our faith in him. But even after that, it is our job through the power of God to grow in our innocence. We have been made holy, but we grow in our holiness. We've been made innocent, but we grow in our innocence. We try to become more like Jesus after Jesus has invited him, us into a relationship with him. And so Paul says, if you, if you will do your best to serve righteousness, to serve God because of your newfound relationship with him, then you will grow in your holiness. That's kind of the same idea, right? You become holy and then you grow in your holiness. And now Paul is saying, strive to live holy and you will become more holy. Strive to live a holy life and you will become a more holy person by the power of God. I've said this in other sermons, and I love it. My grandpa and I had a conversation, I don't know, it's probably been a couple years ago, and I don't know, we were just sitting around talking, and we were talking about how sermons really should not be a thing. Uh, I know it's a weird thing for my grandpa and I to be talking about, considering I'm preaching one right now, uh, but we were talking about how sermons should not be needed because most of the time Christians know what they should and shouldn't do. And really, a big part of my job is to remind you, to inspire you, to live the way that Jesus wants you to live. Sometimes I educate you, but most of the time you have a general idea if you're a Christian about how to live your life. And Paul, I think, is saying, if you will just strive, if you will look at righteousness as your master, if you will strive to serve Jesus in obedience, then you'll grow in your ability to do that. But here is the sad reality. A lot of Christians don't even seem to care whether or not they stop sinning and begin to live for God. Now, these things are hard to say because you get in some tricky territory, but, but if you don't care about sin at all, I would question whether or not you actually have a relationship with God. I would just, I mean, I would just say you probably don't. You're probably not an a, a real Christian, even if you checked it on the last census. Like, that doesn't, you know, I mean, you're probably just not one if you don't care about serving God at all. But a lot of us who do care about serving God, we still don't care enough about our sins, and we wonder why we can't grow in our relationship with God. And Paul says, serve righteousness serve God, do your best to live for him, to do what he wants you to do, and you will grow in holiness. I can stop preaching sermons if you'll just start to live as a slave 
to righteousness and stop living for the sin that used to be the master of your life. He continues in verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were, I love this verse. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. I don't know why I like this verse so much. It's not like John 3.16 popping in there or something like that. But I think what connects with me is that Paul sounds sarcastic to me. And I don't know if he's actually being sarcastic, but it feels sarcastic. Because it's like Paul can hear people outside of Christianity saying, Something to the effect of, well, I feel really free right now. You know, like I I get to sin when I want to sin and do what I want to do. And he's like, you know what? You were free from one thing. You are free from one thing if you're not a Christian. And that's living the life that God wants you to live, that God created you to live. Living a life that is abundant and joyful and hopeful and awesome. You're free from all of that apart from Jesus. I don't know why I like it so much, but I think the twisting around and saying, you know what, you are free. There is one thing you are free from. It just helps me understand what Paul is getting at. But Jesus shows, you know, what Paul is getting at in John 8, 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's Paul's point here. You might be free from serving God, but you're still a slave to the sins that you commit now, this doesn't mean that people can't, even, can't recognize it. Paul's made a big deal in the book of Romans already about how non-Christians, people, if you're not a Christian, you can recognize bad things. He said it in Romans 1, 18 through 32. He said it in Romans 2, 14 and 15. People can recognize bad things in their life, but they can't stop doing them apart from Christ. Now, as we move into chapter 7 next week, we're going to see Paul really clearly say about his own life. He becomes very personal. He says, look, I'm still doing things that I don't want to be doing. I still sin. Paul's going to tell us that. So this is not a sermon. This is not a passage to say, once you become a Christian, you never sin again. It is a passage and a sermon to say, once you become a Christian, you, you should begin to serve your Savior because you now have the ability to not sin. You can stop sinning even though you will struggle to stop sinning. And then he's moving towards verse 23, and 623 is one of the most famous verses in all Romans, but, but there's this question. This is probably not for my people here this morning, but for some of you online, I think you go, well, I don't care. I like my life and my sin, and these, I like doing these things that God has declared as bad. Like, what does it matter? What does it matter if I'm enslaved to these things? And I just would say, hold on, Because verse 23 is going to give us a very big and important answer to that question. But first, these two verses. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things that resulted in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Thought one. As Christians, we should be ashamed of the things that that we used to do, the sins that we used to commit so freely and willingly. We should be ashamed of the sins that we commit now. Now, pause, this has been on my head all week. I didn't even put it in my notes, but in my heart. I think when I say that, there are certain people in our church who, who then go, well, I should feel shameful. I should live a life of shame. And that's not, Paul is not talking about us being ashamed of, of us. 
Paul is talking about looking at the sins and being ashamed of the sins that we commit. We should be ashamed of sin, but that doesn't mean that we live as though we have not been forgiven or that we have not been brought out of that sin. And I know people in our church who who struggle with sins from 20 years ago and they hold it over themselves and they continue to feel guilt. I don't think there's any place for that in Christianity. I think the only reason you should ever feel guilty is so that you'll repent. And if you've repented, you can stop feeling guilty. But when we look at the things we used to do, we should be embarrassed about them because we think, man, that is not the way that God wants me to live. And Paul now, he gets even bigger on this idea. He shows us the incredible difference between being a servant of sin and a servant of our Savior. And really gets to what my grandma has always said. She's always said to me, Satan is a heavy taskmaster. And I think we could just replace Satan with sin there. Sin is a heavy taskmaster. It doesn't benefit people at all. It benefits people for maybe 30 seconds or whatever, but it doesn't benefit people in the long run at all. And in fact, Paul says it leads to death. Being a servant of sin leads to death. It provides no long-term benefit. Now listen, I don't just mean like it leads to like us dying someday. I mean that it, mean, it leads to the death of so many good things in our lives. Sin kills our joy and kills our peace and kills our hope. And Paul is saying sin leads to death. It leads to the death of so many good things. It leads to the death of your bodies and it leads to an eternal death. So why serve it? Why embrace it like it's not a big deal when that's what it gives you? But listen to what being a slave to God leads to. It leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. The language behind this passage is a language of fruit, like on a tree. And that's common in the Bible to describe our, our character and the way that we think, our character traits, our actions. And, and, you know, there's good fruit and bad fruit. The Bible talks about that. And he says the fruit of sin is death, death of so many good things, death of this life and death for eternity. But the fruit of serving God is holiness that leads to eternal life. So why would you not serve God? Why would you not choose to serve God? Serve God. Now this is all, this sets up the final verse. Now I said Romans 6.23, you've probably heard this if you've been around church at all. Even if you haven't, if somebody's ever handed you something on the side of the road and said, I want you to become a Christian, you've probably read this verse if you looked through that little pamphlet at all. It's one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible for good reason. But most of the time it's read completely out of context. In fact, it's read to say, hey, become a Christian, which is great. And I don't, there's no problem with that. Usually reading out of context can be bad. But in this case, it's a great verse to read out of context. But you miss one of the big ideas when you read it out of context. So remember, let me just, set the, just say this. Here's what Paul has said so far. You are either a servant to sin or your Savior. If you are a servant of your Savior, stop sinning. And then verse 23. For, let me give you a reason why all that's true, Paul is saying. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're a slave to sin or your Savior. Paul's saying, choose the Savior. Every single day, make the decision to serve your Savior. Why? Well, because the wages of sin is just death, but the gift of God is eternal 
life. A couple things to notice. First of all, death, I've already explained that. Death is not just the body dying someday. It's all of the things that is encompassed by death biblically. Eternal life is not just living forever, though. It's all of the things that we get when we become Christians. Too often, I think Christians think of eternal life as something that starts when we get to heaven. Eternal life, scripturally, is something that starts when we become Christians, when we place our faith in Jesus. It's not the perfect eternal life that we will have someday, but it at least begins while we're here on this earth. And Paul says, look, serving sin leads to death. Serving God leads to eternal life. But the thing that I think is even more important here is to notice that the wages of sin is death. We have earned our death by serving sin. But the gift, the free gift, the gracious gift is eternal life. We did not earn the gift of eternal life. We earned death, but we do not earn eternal life. It only comes, as Paul says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life only is available to you because Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died on a cross where he paid the punishment for your sins. And three days later, he came back from the dead. And through all of that, if you will place your faith in him, then you can have eternal life life, a life that is driven by holiness and joy and hope and peace and will last forever in an eternal state of perfection. That's pretty good. We don't earn it, but we get it. We earn death through our sin, through serving sin. We were slaves to sin. We did our work. We earned death. But when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive a gift and the gift is eternal life. There's two main, just huge, incredibly huge ideas. Two things that you need to take away from this, this passage of Scripture. First, if you're not a Christian, become one. You are not free. You are just a slave to sin. You are serving someone. You are serving something. And ultimately, right now, I think you're serving Satan. You don't see the steps that kind of lead to him and what he is doing, how he is working in this world, but that's who you're serving. And he is a heavy taskmaster that will leave you broken. I've seen it in people all around me. He will leave you broken and sad and depressed and hurt. And ultimately, he will lead you to condemnation for eternity. And so please become a Christian so that you can be free from sin and you can become a servant of your Savior. But for those of us who are Christians... Listen, freedom for the Christian is not freedom to sin. It's freedom to serve God. And since we are no longer slaves to sin, we should not live as slaves to sin. And at the beginning of this, Paul asked the question, should I sin? And I think every single day, probably every hour, maybe even every minute, we have to ask this question to ourselves. Should I sin? And I don't think you're going to come and you're going to read all of Romans 6 and say, oh no. But I hope that you will remember. In those moments where, where you can yell at your spouse or not yell at your spouse, where you can tell a lie or not tell a lie, where you can do something dishonest or not do something dishonest, where you can be a jerk or not be a jerk, where you can uh, look at... Uh, something that causes you to lust or not look at something that causes you to lust. Whether you can be greedy or not greedy. Whether you can commit gluttony or not commit gluttony. You have to ask, should I sin? Should I sin? And I hope that no. The answer is no. And the reason that the answer is no, and this has to be in your head or you'll just sin anyway, is because you are no longer a slave to that sin, but you are now a servant of our Savior. And so every time that you are faced with this question in life, should I sin, I hope that you will answer, Caleb, no. no. And you will answer no because you recognize that you have become a servant of our Savior.